and welcome to the first podcast in this mini-series from the Walled City Music Festival. I'm Kaho Breslin, one of the festival's artistic directors. Along with me, Sabrina Hu. Joining us today is a good friend of our festival, the wonderful Canadian soprano Misha Brueger-Gossman. <laughs> Misha is performing as the finale of our first night, our opening gala variety concert at this year's festival. And this is a perfect excuse for us to get together and have a chat with her about her life and career. We are now in Phoenix, Arizona, and speaking with Misha, who is in Nova Scotia, Canada. Hi, Misha. Hi, Misha. Hello, hello, hello. So, Misha, if we can start off where you could just tell us a little bit about your life and your career highlights, some of your serious achievements and fun facts. Um, you pack so many, much in and so many different roles in your career. And so how would you describe your career to our listeners and all of its different parts? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. Well... I was born and raised in Fredericton, New Brunswick. It's a small town. It's the capital of New Brunswick. But it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, a pretty small town. And I'd say that that is a highlight because I had a community that really supported me. You know, I grew up, the musical tradition of my church was a classical one. So I was very much um, nurture over nature. I don't feel given the stereotypes that might abound about classical musicians. I don't know that I would necessarily categorize myself in a stereotypical way as being a personality type that would naturally like find its way towards classical music. So for me, being exposed to it early was really, you know, important, which is, of course, a shout out to music education, which is essential. And I have to say that I never did anything else, which is a bit odd, right? So when singers start considering classical music as a way to go, it's usually, you know, mid to late teens. That's not late by any means. It's late for an instrumentalist, but for for a singer, that's, you know, you got to wait for the hormones to settle to figure out what voice type you are, if you're going to take it seriously. Now, I did it early but was kind of sheltered by, you know, being able to sing, you know, the Mendelssohn and the Mozart and the Brahms and Schubert, all that stuff in in my church or in the music festivals in some capacity. So I was performing and performing classically, not unlike an instrumentalist, because I was also a pianist. And I laugh because I was not very good, but I was not willing to give it up. I just thought, well, like athletes, there's no pain, no gain. And I (laughs) was... I was not good, but I persevered. And it probably, I can see now in hindsight, it served to be my training ground for, you know, the real love that I have for my pianists, the real respect and homage that I pay to them. I geeked out on like collaborative pianists in my teens, like other people were like, oh, the rock music, the rap, you know, or whatever cool people say. And I was like, Roger Vignoles. And like, (laughs) I was in love with what Malcolm Martin knew and, you know, Julius Drake and Rudolf Janssen's and, you know, all of these people that were playing for all of the song and leader singers that I grew up listening to. And I was like, oh my goodness, like Dalton Baldwin. (laughs) Like I kind of had, I fangirled out on some pretty specific (laughs) 
people doing some pretty specific things. Like, I only found out what a Wynton Marcellus was because he did a Baroque duet with Kathleen Battle, which was an album of, like, early music. Like, I was like, oh, apparently he plays jazz, too. Like, I was really specific in my love. And then, you know, I loved the Christopher Parkening because he, too, did an album with Kathleen Battle. And so my love of other things was always rooted in like my fangirldom for like the opera singers of like my youth, like Joan Sutherland and Jesse Norman and Kathleen Battle and Leontine Price, of course, like the black greats, but they're just greats. I mean, they happen to be black, but let's face it, they defined an operatic generation. Mm -hmm. You know, there's stuff that's happening on the other side of the pond, but frankly, these ladies were the tastemakers and I don't think anybody can disagree with that. But, you know, I fanned out hard on on those women and who they collaborated with. And so from there, my love of collaboration, that and my like super failure as a pianist, <laughs> like that's where my love for timbre music was born. And that's kind of how I ended up with a voice as large as mine kind of sheltered in chamber music, the recital, concert, you know, and really made my bones in that area. You know, my first solo album on Deutsche Grammophon was like Bolcom, Schoenberg, and Satie. If you need anything more niche than that, um, I, I wanted to do like an all Bolcom hits album. <laughs> they were like, oh, Miss Burger Gosman, that's a little specific for our international market. And I was like, fine, <laughs> you can throw on Schoenberg and Satie and we'll make it a hit. <laughs> Kind of thing like, of course, that makes no sense, but um, but I think my strength, thank you for asking, Miss Bruger Gosman, what would you define as your strengths? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, <laughs> I would say that I do make obscure repertoire accessible, you know, like if I'm programming Satie Poulenc, Josef Marx. I love the early Berg early songs, Schoenberg cabaret songs. Like that's a typical recital. <laughs> Cage, we did Cage, didn't we? Do the the Merry Widow of Eighteen Springs. That's right. Really, like if you're looking at it on paper, it's like uh pass. <laughs> but the my gift is that I make this kind of repertoire totally cool, right? Because I mean, you can come to me for the Mahler song cycles. Like I feel really strongly about all of the kind of core classical repertoire, the four last songs, the orchestral French repertoire. Of course I can do it, but I think if you're asking me for highlights and, you know, kind of little nuggets of my career, you know, as parents, you first of all understand foundationally that your greatest achievements don't happen on stage because you have kids and you have a greater calling. But after that, you take what has been developed in that true arena of war, i.e. parenthood or marriage or the major relationships in your life, and you filter those into your repertoire choices, frankly. You know, what makes me, Misha, what makes it convincing what I'm doing is what, you know, kind of brings me to how I make those choices. Because as muses we're all muses you were all interpreters of works we've not written by usually like dead white guys or alive people that we can ask real questions to but like we're here keeping that excellence alive and in that process we have to find ways to express like our individuality and you know for me that extension of who i am in in classical repertoire usually ends up being like 
the more obscure since you know we have our Dichtelibes and we have our you know all of those kind of German song cycles sewn up by a specific kind of singer mm -hmm. now when I end up having something to say about Schumann's Frau Liebe und Leben it's going to be something different and it's not going to be it might not get programmed at the Schubertiade although I do love the Schubertiade it's just I think in this new season that we've been blessed with we have to be keeping a very firm eye on the people who are going through real suffering. You know, the people who are really needing to be served where they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the church or like a faith, you have to understand that people's needs are real. You know, you can't go programming according to what you like and claim to still want to serve people, right? Our preferences are important. Who we are as musicians and what expresses that is important. But don't think that you can just throw any old thing on there that, you know, exhibits what your prowess and then show up and just like perform at people. Mm -hmm. And there's not even audiences anymore. So they're going to smell the inauthenticity. <laughs> so it's never been a better time to just program according to what you think is actually going to invoke healing. Because mm -hmm. people are dying, like the opioid crisis is real. Like mm -hmm. we're taking guns from temples and razor blades from wrists here. Like it's never been more consequential, the role of the artist, okay? And, and every artist who realizes that is who's relevant in this season and everybody else can just stay home. Whenever you came to Derry to the festival in person, you kind of did a residency. I think it was the first time that we had ever done that. So you did a voice and piano recital at the beginning with me with a very interesting program. And I even pulled Sabrina in <laughs> you know, literally from the green room to the stage for Ravel. The, the flute solo. Yeah, remember that? <laughs> the and, enchanted flute. And so, how one of my was favorite memories intended? was also playing that Carigliano with you. You know, speaking right. of repertoire that doesn't get performed very often, the three Irish folk songs. That was an amazing experience. So Yeah. And then you also performed with the Ulster Orchestra on the final evening, uh, if you remember that, with conductor David Brophy. Yes, I do remember that. What I would specifically credit you uh, with as well, totally off the points of music, but um, you actually taught me good selfie-taking technique after that concert because you were just, no, put your two fingers here and press with a thumb. Yeah, so that's, exactly. Uh, that's Solid a life skill technique. that uh, I can credit you with. And I have to say, Misha, you say that, you know, as a pianist, that that's that's you weren't good enough. That's why you became a singer. Um, I remember your piano skills. I remember you yeah. <laughs> getting at the piano, and even in that rebel and all the pieces, like no, 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 no. I need to hear this top note a little and, more. <laughs> and I, I can honestly say, I've never arrived for a rehearsal with someone when they were playing their own parts. That was the that was a first. So those are 
Those are some of our memories. Can you tell us about some of your memories from that visit to Derry? Well, listen, I had I had the most delightful time. I met this wonderful man on the plane, and he sent someone after I was done to take me to the the Giants Causeway. That's right. That's right. It was just this incredible trip where I really felt, you know, kind of I mean, I'm going to say it, taken care of by the Holy Spirit. I that's what I call it. And so I showed up and I was already excited because I was like, what's it in music? But like, I had never been there. Like, I just was like, hello, Ireland. I know we're friends already. And I just left the hotel and went in search of a bar. Now I realize we're, you're, you're fishing for musical moments, but I'm just <laughs> No, that's okay. <laughs> it's a special thing that we're, you know, when I reminisce and I think about the stuff that really takes hold in my memory, so few of the mu- moments are musical. So few of the moments are like on stage, you know, because you know we live for the stuff that happens on the way and after. Because I do feel like what we bring to any situation should leave people more joyful. You know, because what if the singing's bad? I mean, let's face it, we all have our good and our bad days, but it's never going to be appropriate to be an asshole. When we do come into our next incarnation, like I am super coming back, like try to keep me away. You know, (laughs) I'm so excited. I had so much fun. Well, I remember going to Patter O'Donnell's, which is a really great Irish bar that, that was, we... That was the second residency. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember after leaving there, Misha's big posters were all over the city. I don't know if you remember that. So we were walking out of the bar, and all of a sudden you would be like, look, Misha, there there you are, hanging on a huge poster right next to the, the My water. My favorite part was telling people that was me. Like, just whoever would listen. Just like <laughs> sitting on a bench <laughs> with that crowd. I'd be like, yeah. I hope you're enjoying your walk. That's me. <laughs> Just like <laughs> random people. <laughs> so, a few questions about just this year and, um, you know... We are so happy to have you in this festival. This is our first online one. This is our 12th year of the festival, our first online one. And we're so happy that you can actually be here with us. And um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your program and and why you chose this specific program for this year. Well, the beautiful part of the program is that it's sharing, you know, a bit of my community in addition to offering repertoire that I that I really think will meet people where they are if that makes any sense I grew up singing like these hymns so there's a lot of kind of hymns involved but it really was about picking songs really somehow that people might be able to sing along to you know like I don't know worldwide what the knowledge of it is well with my soul, there is a bomb in Gilead, lay down my burden down by the riverside. You know, this kind of, I'm not entirely sure, like, how universal those hymns are, but I've known them since I have had memory, right? So I can't be the only one. So there's a certain populist approach to the selection of the repertoire, of course. 
I was going to ask a question about how life has changed in the last year during the pandemic. Um, has anything changed with your perspective or direction as an artist? Has it created new opportunities that wouldn't have happened otherwise? Or just speak a little bit about your life for the last year. Well, starting with the positives, which we always should do because we've won the proverbial lottery being born in this time with all of this access and all of this opportunity. And, you know, to be like a black woman in a mixed relationship with swirly babies owning her own home, like that's already living like where I don't have to lock my doors. You know what I mean? Come on, let the people of color rise up, you know? And so that's, first of all, in light of any crisis, we always have that as a miracle to use as an altar for God's goodness and the fact that things are going to be okay because they're already better than they were. So enter the pandemic. Well, we're not the first and we won't be the last. So I'm not worried. I won't do that. That's a waste. It's inefficient. And I knew that people would be suffering. I was motivated by, you know, just a desire to make the concerts I wanted to make and work with the people I wanted to work with because everybody was available. Nobody had anything to do. (laughs) (laughs) So all of a sudden, you don't have to go through people's agents. You can just, like, scroll through your Rolodex just to reveal my age. And, like, just be like, what are you doing? You know, what, you know, and who, listen, I gave you stuff when you had nothing. So now that I got nothing, you need to give me stuff, right? It's like organizations, arts, councils, you know, like all of the stuff that, did I pound the payment? Yes. Did people answer my calls? Yes. Am I still Misha Bruger gosman Yes. You know, I know exactly who I am because God says so. So I'm not up in here confident based on anything that I've done. It's just that I have a testimony. I have altar after altar of having survived. You know, the, the most notable of which is like two emergency open heart surgery. And I wanted to ask you about that because this year has, for all of your fans and for who follows you and which is, you know, a huge amount of people. I know that this year has been difficult besides the pandemic. And um, we didn't know if you wanted to speak about it in, in many ways for you. Like you said, your second open heart surgery, family, you know. So it has been just a tricky year. So how have you coped and how has that inspired you artistically? That's a really great question because I have been inspired artistically by hardship. I think Mm -hmm. when you go through divorce, lose two babies, have open heart surgery, and, you know, my dad died the same day that I had my last heart attack, you know, on the other side of the country, and I'm having, you know, double bypass replacement. And the spoiler alert, like, we win every day we wake up with breath in our lungs, we're winning. If we're not dead, God's not done, right? So you can't think that you have no purpose if your eyes have opened. The thing is that even if you're having to muster it yourself, you know, without faith or without, you know, any kind of system of belief or method by which you access your hope, like even if you're mustering it on your own, which I do not recommend, but what if that's the case? You still, as an artist, you still are called to 
provide the service of excellence through the transformative power of music, right? Mm -hmm. You're still there to serve an audience and you've never had a clearer runway than right now because all you need to do is turn on a camera and be honest. You know, we are more able to decide how things are going to turn out because the systems that ruled our creativity have been torn down and rendered impotent, right? So I have real regret over the power I gave to people to cancel me, and I will not do that again, hmm. right? I, I won't enter into this hoping it goes back to what? Some pro, like again, back to the programming that's so uninventive and assuming that people will come and that they need to, you know, figure out a way to enjoy us and not the other way around. No, I'm not interested. You gotta get, you gotta, you gotta put some respect on it. Like, we're here for greater things. Yeah, I have to say, Misha, you are such an inspirational artist and an inspirational person, too. Thank you. Thanks so much for giving such a, a wonderful podcast, Misha. We really appreciate every single word. Uh, and um, we're, we're hanging on to all of your inspirational uh, comments. Cal and Sabrina, you're super welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. That brings us to the end of this first podcast in the series. Misha features in our opening gala variety concert, along with performances from cellist Li Wei Chin and violinist Kirill Trusov and pianist Alexandra Trusov. That wonderfully varied concert is available to watch on walledcitymusic.com and on our Facebook and YouTube channels from Thursday, the 25th of March at 8 o'clock p.m. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.